0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, as we've been over the last several weeks looking at the great I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, we've discovered somewhat about His person and His purpose in the things that He said about Himself. And certainly, Jesus was... ...making claims to deity when he spoke about being the I Am. And in each one of these cases, Jesus is promising to provide something that man alone cannot provide. For instance, when Jesus spoke about the fact that he is the good shepherd, when he said, I am the good shepherd, there is no mere man that could be a shepherd like the Lord Jesus Christ can... When he spoke about the fact that he is the bread of life, he was revealing to us that there are things that Jesus provides to and for us that this world cannot provide. He was making claims of deity and, of course, was also speaking about his great purpose in coming to this world. Now we come to John 15. This is the last of the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. The setting of John chapter 15 is just before Jesus arrives at the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would be betrayed by Judas and would be taken before the high priest and eventually before Pilate, and then from there to the cross where he would die for our sins and so John 15 is taking place in the city of Jerusalem. We believe that by this point, the disciples have left. There's an indication at the end of chapter 14 that Jesus said to his disciples, Arise, let us go hence. So they have now left the upper room. They have made their way uh, towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, John 15 is a a little bit of a parable or an allegory as Jesus is speaking about himself. And he makes this statement in the very first part of John 15. He says, I am the true vine. Now, it's possible that the disciples and Jesus were passing by one of the many vineyards that would have surrounded the city of Jerusalem at that time. It's also possible that they were coming by the temple itself which had a large carving, a motif on the outside of the temple of a vine with fruit and branches. It's unclear exactly where they were, but obviously there was something that Jesus was using as an object lesson in John chapter 15. And this was something that was very familiar to the disciples. The the concept of a vine and a vineyard is something that would have been very familiar to them as grapes, vines, and vineyards were one of the primary agricultural commodities of the nation of Israel at that time. The average person had their own small vineyard that they would tend for the needs of their family and to provide for the things that they needed. And then there were larger vineyards where Grapes were grown for the purpose of selling and making a profit off of them. So nearly everyone in the nation of Israel at this time was familiar with the picture that Jesus is painting in John chapter 15. Before we read the text this morning, I want to point out to you that the main emphasis of this statement of Jesus is on the fruitfulness that comes from fellowship with God. He's not primarily dealing with sonship, and that's going to become significant here in just a moment, or that is, he's not primarily dealing with salvation. He's more dealing with the dynamics of the Christian life. What happens after a person gets saved? And so with that in mind, let's look at John chapter 15 In verse number 1, and we'll read down several verses here, the scripture says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, He is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples, as the Father hath loved me Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Now the thought continues farther into John 15, but we're going to stop there for sake of time, and really we're going to focus our attention this morning On the first eight verses of John chapter 15. But I wanted to read a larger context because, in that larger context, Jesus speaks a little bit about what happens when there is a disciple who is abiding in the vine and what takes place in their life. And I wanted you to see that, and we'll make mention of that a little bit in a little bit here in the message. But just several thoughts, four thoughts that I want you to see. Here in John chapter 15, as we think about Jesus being the true vine, notice, first of all, that the clear implication and what Jesus is obviously emphasizing and putting his focus on here in John chapter 15 is that there is a connection that is required to the vine. Now, most of us are not that familiar with vineyards and with grapes and the growing process and all of that. But all of us are familiar with with trees that bear fruit. And the principles are the same. And what Jesus is clearly teaching here in John 15 is that he's the vine, we are the branches. And if you take a branch and disconnect it from the vine or a branch and disconnect it from the tree that it's growing on, that branch is not going to have life. Because we understand that the life, at least in the way that God has designed a tree or a vine, the life really comes from the roots up through the vine itself and out to the branches which will have leaves Of course, those leaves are a part of this process with photosynthesis, and then there is fruit that is born. But the life really comes from below and goes flowing out to the branches. And so if you take a branch and you disconnect that branch from the vine or from the trunk of the tree, that branch cannot exist and it cannot thrive. Now understand the implication of what Jesus is saying here. If all the vitality and the nutrients for life in a branch come through the vine, and Jesus is saying that he is the vine and we are the branches, does this not mean to us that we must be intimately connected to Jesus Christ in order to find all that we need for our Christian life, we must maintain this connection to the Lord Jesus. And the word that is used in our passage to emphasize this is the word abide. The word is used repeatedly throughout this passage, and it means to remain or to continue without departing. It also has the idea... Of resting or dwelling. And the idea is that the branch has to be connected and it has to stay connected to the vine, or else it will not receive what it needs for life. In like manner, you and I must remain committed and we must remain connected to Jesus Christ, remaining and resting in Him expecting him to provide all that we need for life and godliness. Now, Jesus is clearly speaking to his disciples about something that they're struggling to understand. And part of this, the reason for this dynamic of them struggling to understand is because up to this point, they have related to Jesus physically. They've walked with him They've talked with him, they've ate with him, they've been with him from sunup to sundown and all the time they've been walking, talking, spending time with Jesus. But Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's going to go to the cross, he's going to die and of course we know he's going to raise from the dead. He'll spend a few days with them after his resurrection but at the end of that time Jesus is going to ascend back to heaven. And now he's going to be relating to the disciples in a very different way than what they've been used to. And Jesus wants them to understand that though he is gone, he is still present. And he wants them to relate to him personally. Many times in our minds, we think, well, if Jesus was here physically, then I could relate to him better. The truth is, Jesus is just as real and just as present today as he was when he was walking and talking with the disciples at this time. And he wanted them to understand that just because he was leaving, it did not take away the need for them to abide with him, to fellowship with him. I say this this morning. Because I think many people have some wrong ideas and they think, well, how can you fellowship with someone that you can't see? How can you fellowship with the unseen God? Well, he certainly is going to speak about that a little bit farther down in the passage. But understand that God has given us in his word the means to fellowship with him. He talks to us and reveals himself through his word, and then we have the privilege of prayer whereby we can talk to him and fellowship with him, and God is real in our lives. Praise God for that. We must be careful to maintain that connection. Unfortunately, there are those who have the idea that a relationship with God is primarily about... Were you born again? And they say, well, there was a time when I was born again, so I'm good. My relationship with God is great. And listen, this morning, if you've been born again, praise the Lord, that's a wonderful thing, and I'm thrilled to hear that you've been born again. If you've not been born again, then none of what I'm going to speak about is going to make much sense to you because it all starts with being born again. But God is concerned with more than just a one-time encounter between us and Him where our sins are forgiven and we're made right with Him. See, that's not just like, okay, well, you got saved, so now you're good, I'll see you in heaven. No, that's the establishing of a relationship between us and God. He wants then to be in connection with us. He wants us to be in connection with him. He wants us to have fellowship with him, to walk with him. That is to have a real relationship with God. And this connection is absolutely vital for every Christian. You say, is it possible for a believer to not be as connected to the vine as they ought to be? Well that's actually the upshot of this encounter. That's what Jesus is speaking about is that it is possible for someone who is saved not to be bringing forth the fruit that they ought to be bringing forth. Not to be connected to Christ like they ought to be. So certainly it's possible and certainly there's something that we ought to pay attention to in this connection with Christ. In other words, don't Minimize your relationship with Christ. It's the most important thing. So many times we can get busy doing and forget about being. We get busy with the jobs that we think are required of us by God, but we forget to fellowship with Him. And Jesus is saying here, God's will is for you and I to be intimately connected to Jesus. And this is a resting, this is a remaining. There's a connection that is required to the vine. Can I ask you a question this morning that pertains to this message? Are you in fellowship with Christ this morning, right at this moment? Are you in fellowship with Him through His Word? Have you spent time with Him today? Are you walking with Him? Do you have that vital connection? Now, if you have that connection, you'll notice in this passage then that Jesus emphasizes the crop, the product, the fruit that is expected to come through the vine. He mentions it in several verses. In verse 2, he says, Every branch that in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And we'll deal with that, the taking away and the purging here in just a moment. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Look down in verse 5. He says, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth. What are the next two words in your Bible? Much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear. Again, what are those two words? Much fruit so shall ye be my disciples. So notice the fruit or the crop that is expected. If you are connected to the vine, if you are abiding in Christ, if you are walking with him like you ought to, what is it that will be taking place in your life? Well, God wants us to bear fruit. And in fact, in this passage, he wants us to bear much fruit. But it's important for us to understand this bearing fruit does not take place through our effort or through us forcing fruit into our life. It is a natural, or should I say a supernatural byproduct of being in fellowship or being in connection with the vine. This fruit is something that comes to those who are properly connected to the vine. It's the normal experience for those who have the life of Christ flowing through them. It would be really ridiculous. I have a couple of uh, fruit trees in my backyard, a couple of apple trees, and it would be silly for me to go to the grocery store and buy a bag of apples and bring that to my little trees in the back and get some duct tape and tape it on the branches and then say, hey, come on to my orchard. I want to show you how good of a farmer I am. You'd say, what in the world are you doing? Why are you taping apples to your trees? Well, the reality is my apple trees don't do that good. And so I want to impress you with the fruit, but I doubt if you'd be impressed. I I doubt if you'd look at my trees and think, boy, he really knows what he's doing. He's, a, he's quite a farmer. He really understands this whole thing of growing apples. No, you'd say, he's gone crazy. There's something wrong with him. That's not the way... For trees to produce fruit. No, when a tree is healthy and things are right with that tree, you just expect that an apple tree is naturally going to take the nutrients from the earth and the nutrients from the sun and is going to put out some blossoms and eventually those blossoms are going to become fruit and the apples are going to grow on that tree and you're not really going to have to do a whole lot to make that happen because it happens naturally. Now, it's the same way in the Christian life. God is expecting that when we are properly connected to Christ, we will be bringing forth fruit. This fruit bearing is the effect of Christ's power in and through us and how it impacts others around us. It doesn't mean that we're going to have apples or oranges growing off of our fingers, but it is a spiritual fruit. Now, we know in other places of Scripture that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are spiritual qualities that we cannot naturally produce through the strength of our flesh. They are things that God needs to produce in us. I don't mean by saying that that in our flesh we are completely devoid of any ability to produce anything that resembles love, joy, peace, long suffering. I mean, we're not able to produce God's kind of love, joy, peace, long suffering, etc. on our own. We need Christ's power in us in order to do that. Now, when we are bringing forth That kind of fruit in our inner man, and that is affecting our outer man, that's going to have a dramatic effect on the people around us, because we're going to be relating to those people in a completely different manner. And then there's another kind of spiritual fruit, which I believe Jesus is emphasizing in John 15, and that is the fruit of spiritual multiplication. That is the impact of our life on the world around us that desperately needs the life of God. Amen. And we have the ability to communicate that life to others. Now, I realize that in our world, it tends to be that corruption brings forth more corruption. You've heard the the analogy of one bad apple in the bag or in the basket is going to cause the the uh, rest of the apples to be affected by that corruption. In God's way, though, life can reverse corruption. Life has the power to bring life out of death. That's the power of God. And God wants others to be impacted by Our testimony, it's these qualities that come from the Spirit of God resulting in spiritual reproduction or multiplication. And notice with me that when we are connected the way that we ought to be, then this crop is going to be noticeable. The fruit is going to be noticeable. And even, he says, we will bring forth much fruit. Now, I understand this morning that we don't always know the extent of our testimony in the lives of others. We don't know what other people are thinking. There are times when we interact with folks and then we lose touch with them, not knowing what the impact is on their life. But I do want you to think a little bit about yourself, because if you say, well, I'm connected to the Lord, then ask yourself, am I seeing spiritual fruit in my life? Am I abounding with spiritual fruit? Do I have these spiritual qualities in my life? And is that impacting the lives of those around me? Because obviously that's what Jesus is up to. That's what he wants for those who are his disciples. Now, there's a connection and there's a crop, but then Jesus speaks about cleansing And there is a cleansing that is administered by someone called the husbandman. And the husbandman is not the man who marries the woman. The husbandman is, in the Bible, the guy who takes care of the vineyard. And his job is to go through the vineyard and to make sure that everything is proper, especially... He has the job of dealing with any pests that might come along, like foxes that might spoil the vines or insects that might cause problems. He also has the job of maximizing the harvest by doing the pruning on the vine. And again, I I have a couple fruit trees in my backyard, but I'm not the best person to speak about this as an authority, I'm not necessarily that good at seeing fruit come out of my fruit trees, but I've been told that a lot of the fruit bearing potential of a fruit tree is wrapped up in the pruning that takes place. And someone who knows what they're doing with pruning a fruit tree or a vine is able to maximize the possible harvest by going in and taking out unnecessary branches or unnecessary growth that is coming off of those branches to focus the energy of the life of that vine on producing fruit from that branch. And it seems counterproductive. In fact, when I first got some fruit trees, I thought, well, why would you want to prune them? Wouldn't it just stand to reason that the more branches there are, the more fruit there would be, but it doesn't actually work that way. And so, There is a lot of science that goes into understanding the the best way to prune a tree. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever driven by an orchard after, just after it's been pruned. It's not the prettiest looking thing. They actually take the trees and you think, now why don't they leave them alone? They don't look all that nice. After they're done with them, you're looking at these trees and thinking, You know, they could have shaped them a little better because they look kind of bare. It seems like they've taken off way too many branches and way too much growth. But then you come by later when it's fruit bearing season and you'll realize that that farmer, that husbandman knew exactly what he was doing. And I think sometimes the cleansing that takes place in our life feels a little bit like that. When the the father is working to bring forth fruit in us, And we feel like, Lord, you're kind of, I don't know, you're getting carried away here. There's a little bit too much that you're cutting off. I I don't understand why you're pruning this way. Be patient because the father who is the husbandman knows exactly what he is doing. And he is clipping and cleansing in all the right places. Now, you'll notice in our text that every branch that bears fruit is purged so that it can bring forth more fruit. And the idea of that word purge, in some places in our Bible, it means the idea of cleansing from dirt or impurity. It's like if you took a shower this morning and you scrubbed the dirt off of your body, that's what it means to purge. But also, it has the idea of pruning off that which is useless for fruit-bearing, and it has the idea of someone coming through and saying, all right, we need to remove this growth. We need to focus the attention right here. Why? Because the husbandman is wanting the branch to bring forth fruit. And all the effort is focused on bringing forth fruit. Are you all with me this morning? You understand? So he's going to be purging. Not only is he going to be purging But it says there are branches that will be removed, branches that are not bearing fruit. And I don't want to dwell on this thought this morning, but some people in reading John 15 have gotten the idea that Jesus is teaching that you could lose your salvation, that somehow you could be taken away. And then there's that verse in verse six where it talks about being burned with fire, and it seems like he's saying, You know, they're going to be, because they're not bearing enough fruit, they're going to be judged. They're going to be thrown into the fire. Now, we know from other places in Scripture that we are secure in Christ, that our salvation is secure. And it's never good to take a passage like this, which is more of a parable, and try to build strong doctrine out of it when there are clear verses that oppose that doctrine that you're trying to build. So we go from that which is clear to interpret that which is a little bit unclear. You say, well, what is Jesus talking about here then in John 15 if he's not talking about losing your salvation? Well, remember that the main emphasis of this is not sonship, but fellowship. And I believe what Jesus is emphasizing is that as a Christian, you can become useless to the Father... If you are not in fellowship with the son and when you become useless to the father, that is you're not bearing the kind of fruit that you ought to be bearing, then you're really of the kind, you know, the value that you could contribute, for instance, to the kingdom of God and to the Lord's church is such that you might as well be removed and thrown into a fire. He speaks about being withered. He speaks about drying up. You know, it's possible for us as Christians to dry up, to, to get kind of shriveled up in our, in our walk with God, to get to the place where our life is not really contributing. It's not giving any value to the kingdom of God. Why would that happen? Well, because we've lost that vital connection with Christ. And as a result, we've started to live selfishly. We've started to live a life that is focused on getting what we want to get out of life. And you say, well, what are the safeguards that are in place for this? The safeguard is the ministry of the husbandman. And the husbandman is not just going to let you as a Christian fade to zero. He's not just going to let you kind of wander off and not not have any corrective measures in your life you can be assured that he's going to be trying to get your attention. This is what we call chastisement. He's going to be trying to get you back to where you ought to be. Hey, bring your focus back over here. We're about bearing fruit. We're not about putting down roots in this world. We're about getting ready to go to that world. We've got an eternal perspective to develop. And he's going to be trying to get your attention. Now, one of the consoling factors that we find in John 15 is that God is fully committed to you and I bringing forth fruit. He is going to bring about that work in us. He's going to do some work in us that will bring forth fruit. If you're saved, you certainly ought to see some evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And, of course, we know that can ebb and flow depending on the vitality of our walk with God. But you can be sure that God is going to be after that goal in your life. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I know that I'm committed and I'm connected to Christ the way that I ought to be. Well, don't think this morning then that that cleansing is for everybody else and not for you. Because the husbandman is going to put a lot of attention on the premium branches where the fruit is going to be brought forth and he's going to be doing some purging, some pruning. You say, how does, how does the husbandman, how does the father do this? Well, in verse number 7, uh, let's look at verse three first. Jesus says this, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So what is the means by which the father, the husbandman, does this purging? He uses the word of God. He uses the scriptures to purge, to clip, to remove the parts that are extraneous and unnecessary so that we can bring forth the maximum fruit. The word is the tool that the father is using. Down in verse 7, Jesus said, "...if ye abide in me..." And my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. We're reminded here in verse 7 that abiding in Christ involves His words abiding in us, and then the prayer relationship that flows from this mutual abiding. In other words, the way that we abide in Christ is by His words abiding in us. Can I put it to you more plainly? You will never, you will never have the connection to the vine that you ought to have apart from the word of God. This is not some kind of a mystical relationship that exists outside of the written word of God. You're not going to go get yourself in a corner and meditate yourself clear And all of a sudden have a vital connection to God. You're going to find that connection in the scriptures. And what is going to happen is the scriptures are going to reveal things in your life that need to be pruned. That need to be removed so that you can bring forth fruit. That is the work of the Father. That is the cleansing that is going to take place. So we've seen that connection and the crop, and the cleansing. But then I want you just for a moment to think with me about the counterfeits. The counterfeits that exist to the true vine. It's interesting in verse 1 that Jesus said this, I am the true vine. He didn't just say, I am the vine. He said, I am the true vine. And the word true refers to the idea that he is the exclusive, the authentic, the only. Just like in all of the other I am statements, Jesus was speaking in exclusive terms. He was saying, look, I am something, I am someone that is special. There is no one like me. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You say, well, pastor, what are then some of these counterfeit vines if Jesus is the true vine? What do these false vines look like? Well, let me speak in a general sense rather than identifying just specifically every one. But there are a couple of things that I want to point out to you that are false vines. One of these false vines is man's religion that is based on the works that men do instead of a real relationship with Christ, which can only be found through the new birth. So there's a myriad of man's religions that exist. Many of them call themselves Christian. But it's focused not on receiving life from Christ. It's focused on what men can do get baptized attend church clean your life up do things and then god will accept you and this is what people think of as abiding in christ now certainly if you're abiding in christ there are going to be some actions that you will take there will be some some definite changes in your life if you if you love him you're going to keep his commandments that's clear but we don't earn that relationship by doing things. And so this, is, this can be a, a false vine. And when you think about this kind of religion, where people are given, okay, you need to do these things in order to please God. First of all, there's a lot of uncertainty about that. Because you never know when you've done enough to please Him. So most people, when you ask them about their relationship with God, they'll say something like, well, I hope I have a relationship with God. And I hope that I'm going to heaven. I'm pretty sure that I will. But, I, you know, I never could really be positive because, you know, I just am not sure if I've done quite enough yet. That's a sad thing. That's a heavy burden for people to bear. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, branches bring forth fruit by being connected to the vine. Jesus offers that kind of rest where we rely on him, we rest in him. But man's religion says, do more, do more, do more, and hopefully you'll do enough to be accepted by God. It doesn't bring vitality. It doesn't bring spiritual fruitfulness. It doesn't bring eternal security, and it doesn't bring relationship with God. It's a false vine. There's another false vine that I thought of, and this one is really popular today. This is the vine of selfish living that promotes gratification of the desires as the ultimate experience to bring fulfillment. This world tells us if you want to be really happy, if you want to be fruitful, if you want your life to mean something, then just go after what you want follow your heart, satisfy yourself, indulge your passions and your desires, then you'll be really happy and then you'll live a life that's worth living. Only it doesn't work that way. It's a false vine. People will desperately try to wring everything that they can out of life, hoping to get every last little bit of fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and peace and get to their life and realize... They lost it all. They missed it all. They lost the most important things. Selfish living ends in emptiness, not in real gratification, not in real satisfaction. Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says, he's the vine. We are the branches. We find our fulfillment in our connection to him in living the life that He wants us to live. But I want you to know this this morning, that the enemy of our soul strives to tempt us to walk away from our fellowship with Christ and substitute anything else for that. He's content for you to be a good Baptist if that means you won't fellowship with Christ. He'll be glad if you'll get busy doing a lot of service and and works in the church if that means that you'll stop fellowshipping with Christ. He'll be glad if you could just go and do anything else or substitute anything else instead of walking with the Lord Jesus and us. Those of us who are true believers, who we say, I am a branch in the vine. I, I know that I've been saved This is where we strive in our life, isn't it? This is where we struggle against this temptation, because it happens so easily, where we just forget that we're supposed to be walking in submission to Him, that we're supposed to be fellowshipping with Him, that we're here to promote His agenda and to pursue His plan, and We forget about those things and we start living our own life and doing the things that we want to do. And it happens almost imperceptibly and without us thinking. And then you realize, oh. Oh boy. I think I haven't been paying much attention. I think I I think I've fallen out of fellowship with Christ. Has this ever happened to you? This happened to me recently. Very recently. Some things transpired and I was unpleased about the way that I had responded and the things that I had done and then I started meditating on it and I realized I I know what happened. I was out of fellowship with Christ. I wasn't connected to the vine and the fruit that I was bringing forth was not the fruit that he wants to bring forth. Instead of the fruit of the spirit I was bringing forth the works of the flesh. That's an ugly picture. When you see yourself and you're bringing forth the works of the flesh and you realize, I know what happened. What do you do? Well, that's the time you ask the Father to purge you. You you ask to be restored to that place of fellowship so that you can bring forth fruit again. This is what Christ desires for us. He's the vine. We're the branches. To drive home the point... And to conclude the thoughts this morning, Jesus said, Without me, ye can do nothing. Not one thing can be accomplished of eternal good apart from Jesus Christ. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you have the capacity and the strength and the ability to do something of lasting eternal value apart from Him. The only way to accomplish something of real value is for Him to accomplish it through you. You must be connected to the vine. Now, ultimately, if you and I are abiding in the vine, the fruit will speak for itself. That's why I read the rest of the passage, because the rest of the passage speaks about some of the fruit that comes in the lives of those who are abiding in the vine. We'll experience enduring joy. Not an absence of trial, but joy in the midst of trial. We will experience love for the brethren. Not the brethren that make us feel good and that we like to be around and are easy to get along with, but all of the brethren, even the ones that rub us the wrong way. We will experience fellowship with God. Vitality with him. Our life will be reproducing the life of Christ in others. This is what the passage says.